Crank up the volume and get ready for real-world bird hunting by listening to the Wingman Podcast by Eastman's. Now your host, Todd Helms. Hey guys, Todd Helms here. Welcome to another episode of the Wingman Podcast. And this afternoon, I've got Garrett Walker, the owner of Quack Rack, on with me. And Garrett just slid sideways into a parking spot at Salt Plains Outfitters to chase some ducks and geese. Uh, they said, we got him. And he said, I'm on my way. And uh, between phone calls with trying to hook up with me for this podcast and uh, apparently a patent attorney, you were a busy guy this afternoon, Garrett. Absolutely. And, and you know, we've been trying to do this for maybe a month now or maybe two yeah. months now. I know so it. We had to put a date and a time down. And so I tried to do that and I'm five minutes late. So I apologize, but we made it happen. And uh, like I was saying, I, I almost ran out of gas twice to make sure I got to the lodge by four o'clock to make this call. But uh, here we are and I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no, thanks for jumping on with us. And, and like I said, or like you said, it has been, we've been trying to get this done for a while and it seems like we finally got got connected so this is perfect but so you are the owner of quack rack which if you've been unless you've been sleeping in a cave without uh social media and internet for the last couple of years and you're a waterfowler you know what quack rack is i mean you're looking at these cool looking metal racks on the fronts of boats and on the back fronts roofs and cargo beds of at or utvs atvs uh, even pickups now, you guys got a full assortment of stuff. One of the cool things that I saw the other day, you made a post on Instagram and I saw this, the quack stand. I got, am I getting that right? Pack pole. The quack pole. That's right. Pack it's, pole. I pack see pole. it. It's a stand. Okay. Pack pole. The pack pole. Yeah. That thing. Sorry. I got that name wrong. I was just, and cause it's, I was looking at that going, man, where I grew up, that thing would have been Oh my gosh. I mean, I can't believe that none of us ever thought about building one, but that was kind of the, that's kind of how quack rack got its start. Right. Is you, this is the necessity is the mother of all invention. And that was where you were. Right. Right. And you're hitting the nail on the head and that's where quack rack started out of necessity. And I invented, if you will, or designed my first version of a quack rack in early 2014 and several models later it's what we have now but that kind of set the pathway or the road that we've always kind of followed and you're recognizing it now with the pack pole i hunt all the time the guys that work with me hunt all the time we're in the field scratching our heads going how can we make this more efficient how can we be smarter and that's where ideas like that come up and you know that pack pole you sit there and you go, okay, how many of these should we build? Is this going to take off? And to your point of, you know, necessity and, and how effective that can be, it's been a great addition to our overall lineup and a great addition because you don't have to have a boat or a UTV to get that product. Well, and that was, I can imagine, and, and I've, well, I'm sure we're not the only podcast you've done. So folks kind of have heard the quack rack story. You know, but you, you just look at the UTV products and you can just tell that there was a, a, the, probably a specific hunt that you were on and you went, this sucks. There's got to be a better way to do this as you're trying to cram 
six six gear from six dudes and decoys and everything into on into and onto a UTV and not have to haul a trailer or whatever. You needed a better way, and you could take a look at that. You can look at those products and go, that just makes sense. You put those things on there. I could put all kinds. I could see without even without even using it. I could see what's what it's for. You know, it's like, oh, I'd put a cooler right there. Oh, I'd I'd stick spinners in those right there, and I'd put a whole crap load of decoys or you know two A frame blinds or whatever. I could see that, and I think a lot of people can too. But that pack pole, that that thing, I don't know. I don't mean to, to focus in on one product. That was the one that when I saw that, it took me right back to hunting um, a place in Michigan called Shiawassee that's a draw. And you're standing literally in knee to waist deep water in fragmites and cattails and just crap. And there's no place to set anything down. There's no, I mean, and we had, we built these, I don't know, for lack of a better term, these half-ass racks that are kind of like what you were looking at and they'd break and the nails would rust or the screws would rust out and it never did work great but ended up finding uh you know those metal those metal hooks you stick in the ground and hang like flower pots on or hummingbird feeders (laughs) yeah we ended up using that we ended up using those back in i mean they were brand new back then because we didn't have any anything else and you could hang a gun on it or your backpack or whatever but i look at that little product and i'm like i where where was that (laughs) it's funny with that product there's there's more uses with it than just holding gear it's actually designed to hold two shotguns but the attorneys don't like it when i post pictures of or, or try and say or advertise, hey, you can hold your shotgun for liability purposes. But yeah, we can, we're, we're all friends here on the podcast, so I can share <laughs> that. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's, it's basically for the listeners out there, the pack pole is an extendable spud pole, if you will. It's the same heavy duty for those of you boat guys out there that are used to messing with spud poles. It's the same spud pole design that extends up to six feet it's got a basket on top that's 10 inches by 10 inches, and then it's got places for you to hang your blind bag. So your coffee, your ammo, your gloves, your blind bag, your gun, everything can be high and dry in the exact same situation you're talking about. Whether you're in timber and you can't screw into trees, or you're in tall grass, or like where I hunt in South Texas quite a bit, you know, you're in a flooded rice field or what have you, and you're sure. sitting in a tent blind, it's a perfect solution for that, those environments. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. But so there's, when I, I said, I back up a minute to the, to the whole UTV thing, there's gotta be a story behind this. What happened that you went, okay, there's gotta be a better way. Tell us uh, about that hunt, that day that made quack rack. Well, so I'm going to take one step back. So when I grew up hunting, it was always out of boats and we were running up in fingers around the Dallas Fort Worth area, trying to get into some timber and, and find birds. And I had never really hunted out of UTVs. So in 2012, my job, uh, my now wife was in Houston. I was in Dallas. So I moved to Houston and uh, joined a hunting club. And Did you and, just call your wife a job? Well, my <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, no, no. Secret so, safe, brother. so I got to Houston and uh, 
I, I literally started just asking certain guys that I knew that were hunting and, and looking on the internet. And I found a hunting club, a somewhat famous hunting club called Thunderbird Hunting Club. They got a lot of history there. And it was kind of, I, I emailed and emailed and emailed, no response, no response. And they finally, I got them on the phone and they, they said, well, we're full, but if you want to come out on Saturday for a work day, we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can fit you in. And they, I guess they were trying to size me up or, you know, who knows. So I showed up that Saturday and it blew me away on a work day. Everybody had their truck, everybody had their trailer and everybody at the time had a Polaris Ranger. And we did that work day and they let me in the club, but I couldn't hunt the, I, I call a manicured property. I couldn't hunt the good properties. They had a marsh and we're right off the bay in Matagorda. And they had this rough, road less traveled, nobody's ever hunted it marsh. And they said, you know, for the first year, you can go hunt there. And so I started going in there and figuring my way out, failure, failure, failure. And finally, my brain started working. How could I get in there? Next thing you know, I had a UTV. Next thing you know, I got mud grips on it. Next thing you know, I got a little bit of a lift. And there was a particular day which I brought clients of mine um, for my real job, not my wife. And uh, we set up on the wrong side of the pond. The wind had shifted. We've all been there. We've all been in that situation. And I had to ask my clients, let's pick up these six, seven dozen decoys and we got to go to the other side. And I, I could just see the look in their face. Like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, this marsh is unstable. It's not flat. It's just awful. You've got oyster beds, all sorts of craziness. And at that time, I thought, man, if I could just walk up to my ranger and hang a bundle of decoys, this would, and right there in my mind, the setup presented itself. And so after that hunt, I went home and I literally went online and started searching some of the hunting forums, asking who, if anybody's a welder. And I was referred a guy who uh, works for one of the big oil companies south of Houston in Texas City, uh, just north of Galveston. And he laughed at me when I gave him, I had to draw it out on a piece of paper. And he made the first one. And the moment he made a first one, the moment I put it on my Ranger, I was ready to redesign it. I was ready to go. The night. My, my brain was just naturally going to the next one. And what was funny is he got so frustrated making the first one to ask him for a second one was kind of difficult. So it took a while, but I had four or five iterations of it before I started having people ask for them or talk about it. Um, and so the, the, kind of a side note, funny story with that guy. Um, I had to pay him in cash and, and he had this old garage and it, 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 I, I sent pictures to some of my camera guys recently. You would think this would be like a meth lab where you're going. I mean, you're <laughs> like deliverance in the middle of nowhere. There's just a garage in the woods and this guy, I would have to pay him in cash. And it was hilarious because I could tell the mood he was in. Sometimes it was a good mood and sometimes it was a terrible mood, but I could tell the mood that he was in based on the number of empty Bud Light cans in the trash can in his garage. <laughs> and that guy could go through two cases of Bud Light in a heartbeat. And when I would pay him, 
he was drunk and he'd always think I was shorting him money. And so I knew when I saw a trash can full of Bud Lights, it's like, okay, here's how we're going to spell out each yeah. that I'm giving you. Are we good? You know, because that conversation can get sideways real quick. No kidding. Yes, sir. Oh, man. Those, the stories like that are the ones that I think everybody likes. I know I like them because you look at things and you, and there's always a history. There's always a history to things. Like you said, if you got the first one on your boat and you went, I want to redesign this or on your, on your, on your ranger and you went, I want to redesign this, or you're thinking about improvements and man, that is, I think life is like that. It seems like every time you get something figured out, you're like, Oh wait, but I want to do this different. So, yeah. Oh man. So your yeah. salt plains outfitters, what do you got going on down there? Uh, so we're going to got, we're here at the end of the season. Um, today's the 27th of January. So uh, we've got a couple of more days here. Um, we're in a lodge in Southern Kansas and Kansas has been closed for a couple of weeks and they've been hunting Oklahoma a little bit more. Um, but Kansas is back open. We got a little bit more time. And um, I think uh, Barton Ramsey's here. I haven't seen him yet, but I think he's been on this show before. Yeah, uh, so a lot of guys in town, and and I got the call saying that they've got birds, so I had to jump in the truck and head north. Awesome, awesome. How far a drive is that for you? Uh, right at nine hours. Um, I live about forty-five minutes south of Houston in a little town called Friendswood, Texas. Okay. And, uh, left about six thirty this morning. Pulled in about four oh two for our four o'clock podcast. So we're there. Right you on. go. There you go. Yeah. I, well, I really appreciate you taking the time to. To do that like you said between between big game hunts and the first part of waterfowl season for us and then it just didn't quite work out earlier in the year but that's okay that's that is perfectly okay but yeah you'll have to tell barton hi for me that's uh i haven't talked to him in a while but it's always fun visiting with him and that is that's cool yeah i we are done with ducks here in wyoming i wish we had more because it always never fails about the time your season closes is when the birds show up. And Where in Wyoming are you? We're in the northwest corner. Okay. Up by, up by the town of Cody, Wyoming, about 90 miles from Yellowstone. Okay, so Wyoming is a special place for me. Uh, Why is that? So every December, I, I generally spend December in Montana. Okay. And, and Quack Rack, we have a company UTV, if you will, kind of our flagship UTV. And it's a Can-Am on tracks. And I haul that thing around in a 24-foot car hauler. Well, our car hauler is unique in that the rear door of this thing is eight feet. The interior height is 10 feet. Wow. So the exterior, I'm running, I don't know, somewhere like 13, you know, 12, 13 feet tall in a car hauler, 24 feet long. So the wind. Yep. I knew this is where that was going. <laughs> I've got... Three, three stories, but <laughs> depending upon the wind, we've taken that thing up to Idaho. We've taken it to Montana twice, over to Oregon. And every time we come back, that stretch, I guess it would be Southern Wyoming, yep. where they got the barriers along the side of the highway. I'm just white knuckle gripping, just feeling the ass end of my truck, just swaying back and forth. And that thing... I always brag, people are like, man, this thing must pull terrible. I can go 90 and I don't even feel it. But in the wind like that, and when you go through there, it's nothing for you guys to have 
60 mile an hour, yeah. 75 mile an hour crosswinds on that highway. Yeah, that's pretty, that's, that's called Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we had a lot of fun pulling that trailer around. And uh, we were in uh, Great Falls one year and we were picking up a, a local and I had a guy driving my trailer and all of a sudden I'm in a truck in front of him. All of a sudden I look in the rear view and he's not there. And I'm thinking, wait a second. So I told my driver, I think it was Ted Wells. I told Ted, I think it was, I said, to make a U-turn, turn around, Where, where's Josh? So we turn around and I see my truck and my truck is underneath a railroad crossing. Oh. Well, that railroad crossing was 10, 11 feet tall. Oh man. And, and he wasn't paying attention and he scalped the roof of my car hauler. So here we are 27, 28 hours away from where I live. It's like two days before Christmas and it's just peeled back. The roof of this trailer is just absolutely peeled back. So what do you do? We regroup, the guy driving the truck at the time is throwing up in the bushes. He's so nervous thinking that I'm gonna get like super pissed off. It is what it is. We go to a local a local Love's or Pilot gas station, whatever. And uh, we were able to buy a rubber mallet and Gorilla Tape. And Ted Wells gets on the roof and another buddy, John Daly, gets on the, gets on the back of my truck and I get on the roof and we rubber malleted the roof back somewhat. And then we layered Gorilla Tape, like three or four rolls of Gorilla Tape all over six feet of nose oh and that, tra that trailer made it all the way back to tech like i i'm sitting here going i'm i'm gonna have to leave this here yeah it got so perfect that it didn't catch wind it made it all the way home no problem oh my gosh yeah, back to the necessity being the mother of invention right there holy Here's smokes you know. So if anybody listening ever peels the roof off their uh, rate or their trailer and you need to fix it, Gorilla Tape will do it. Gorilla Tape. That's about the biggest redneck thing going right there. Gorilla Tape and a rubber mallet. Oh, geez. Yeah, we, we laugh all the time up here. The two best things that ever happened to Wyoming were I-80 and grizzly bears. They keep everybody at bay. <laughs> uh, so the sun river in montana on the northern side of the state northeastern side of the state i guess uh we went with a guy one day and i'm not so big wooly guy and he was driving a flatbed pickup truck and we're going through this field bumping up and down and we get out of the truck and like most guys what do they do they let their dog out first so we all let our dogs out and he turns around and looks at, looks at us and he goes everybody's head on a swivel this is grizzly country and me and my buddies from texas were like whatever right then i trip and fall over a fresh deer kill over a doe uh-huh just been killed was still warm i pick up my dog willie for those of you that follow crack rack y'all know willie i pick him up throw him on my shoulder and i'm just absolutely freaking out so i made sure he was on my shoulder the whole way so then i put him in his blind on the water we had like a little 30-yard walk but man that y'all are in different woods than we are in texas <laughs> yeah it's it is different you know they they trapped a, a sow grizzly and two cubs mm, a couple miles from one of my best duck blinds this uh, about a year i guess it was two a year ago right and we're out in farm country quite a ways you know out 
Um, but they run that river bottom and all of our duck habitat is pretty much in the river bottoms. You know, the only reason we have ducks is and geese is we have the river and the agriculture, but otherwise it's, it's high desert and mountains and it's, it's pretty crazy, but yeah, there's, it's different. You know, I was on that podcast I did with Barton. I was actually telling him about my duck dog, um, runs point on elk hunts for me on big game oh. hunts when I'm in grizzly country, I always take him. Wow. And he's, he's keyed me into more than one bear. And so it's, yeah, it's a little different, but you guys have, you guys down there have snakes and giant reptiles and stuff that you can have yeah. that I'll, I'll, I'll live where the air hurts my face. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Oh goodness. So out of, out of the, tell me about the truck, the quack rack truck rack, that thing, I was looking at that um actually before before you and i decided to do this podcast or you agreed to being on here i was looking at that because i'm looking for an option for the topper on my pickup and i looked at that and went well that's slick you got leds you got all this stuff i mean tell me more about that because i can't be the only one that's interested in it so we get emails all the time and people are saying could you build this or could you build that and the way we kind of build thing is we don't build things is we don't cut corners anywhere and a lot of the products that you see in the hunting industry or whatever it's like how can we cut corners how can we get cheaper and at quack rack i just build things the way that i would want them built i don't ever want you to have to buy another one and that's probably the death to my business model but people know through their utv products that they purchased the strength and durability in which we build things so then our email starts filling up i need something for my truck to your point my topper We've got guys with F-250s that wandered over the cab. And so we built a truck rack that has a platform underneath it that you can make more sturdy or less sturdy. You can configure where you want the support bars. But essentially, we've got a truck rack that has 360 lighting. And it'll attach to the top of your vehicle. And they're offered on our website. And that just kind of changed the game, changed us getting away from UTVs and also more into truck products. And it's so awesome to see guys submit pictures with their pride of their, their F-250 at camp loaded up, 360 lighting. They've got gear up there, layout blinds up there, whatever. Because as you know, when you hunt all over the country, everybody does it different. And there's not a one size fits all application. And it's one thing for us to say, well, we hunt boats. Well, what about over here? Well, we do UTVs. Well, there's a lot of guys that are rolling in their truck, you know, running gun style. And um, especially like in the Idaho area around where you, you know, south of where you are. Um, but anyways, that truck product has really taken off for us. And it's just, again, listening to our audience. It's a great product extension for our company. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, look, I looked at that thing. We, we do, we hunt a lot of trucks out here. You know, you're setting up, uh, you're setting up in fields doing dry land hunts for mallards or geese or whatever. Um, a lot of the time, you know, be able to walk out, flip on that 360 lighting as you're getting ready to go to walk down to a blind or down to into a spot in the morning and you're getting stuff around and you got a headlamp on and you're, yeah, you can't see anything. I looked at that and went, man, that would be slick. Not to mention you turn a couple of black dogs loose in the pitch black night and you can't see them you flip on those lights it's like oh yeah he's over there taking a leak on that fence post you know absolutely it'll definitely light it up 
Definitely. It's got two light bars front and back and then uh, four cubes, two on each side. Left can you right. guys run, can you guys run LEDs down, down the highway down there where you mm -hmm. are? No. Yeah. It's, it's illegal. Yeah. We can do it here, but really? yeah, it's, if you, I mean, you've, you've driven across out of that I-80 stretch, you turn the lights out at night on that and it, everything's pretty dark. So yeah. you can, we, we're allowed to run light bars and stuff like that out here. I, I've got LEDs on the front of my pickup and I, you shut them off. You know, you'd be, be uh, courteous of other drivers oncoming traffic when you come over a hill and, and light yeah. somebody up. But man, I tell you what, there's the last thing you want to do is you're headed out early in the morning is smack an elk, you know, <laughs> you know, that, that, that'll put an end to your day of duck hunting pretty fast. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but no, that's interesting. When I looked at that product, I thought, well, man, that's, that would be a solution to having like what I having a little more cargo. It's like, I run, I run a Toyota Tundra. And by the time I get the dog guys, camera equipment, you name it. A lot of times the bed of my truck's too full to put anything else in there. Sure. And to be able to throw, like you said, layout blinds or decoys or coolers or whatever you need up on top, that's, I saw that product and went, yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I can definitely see using that. Yep. You, you're you talking, go ahead. I was strapping P-Rows and kayaks to the top of it, you know, Yep. Um, to get it off, you know, it has enough rise in it to get it off the vehicle itself. So multiple uses for it. Go ahead. You know, that's. That I was gonna that you you transitioned to where I wanted to go. When you you guys, you're I'm assuming you're a pretty small company, just you and a couple buddies. Yeah, so um, I, it's funny if you catch me around a campfire at night, people will ask, and I I honestly don't even know how we survived the start that we had. Um, I ran the the I ran Quack Rack as a side hustle, if you will. Um, and I would hire guys to help me run it. And I kept hitting roadblocks where you, you know, the guy doing it wasn't the best guy for the job, but he's the only guy that I had at the time type of deal. And we literally, a couple of things is trying to find the right people. And then in 2017, I got a double whammy. Um, we got hit with Hurricane Harvey. And so in September, gearing up for hunting season, my fabrication shop's underwater. Uh, my house is, has four feet of water in it. Oh, man. And here we are getting ready. Well, the double whammy there is my fabricator at the time took a contract with Schlumberger, and he forgot to tell me that he's no longer manufacturing quack racks. So here I am coming into the season. I'm living in a travel trailer. My house is, my first floor of my house is demolished. I'm trying to maintain my day job. And then I've got quack rack on the side that I just, it, it became too much to manage and, and all these hurdles. And I was, I had an LED supplier of buddy of mine out of, out of Northwest Arkansas. His company is Stingray Industries. And I had known Nick, the proprietor of Stingray for a while. And he said, man, give me a shot at running quack rack. Let me have a chance. And so here I am literally out of my house in a double wide or, or RV trailer in the driveway. My fabrication guy literally is saying, I can't do any more quack racks. 
I begged him to finish that season. We had to move about 60,000 pounds of aluminum in about three weeks in product. Wow. And, and he honored that and he did it. And then in about December, January, once I got a lot of the orders fulfilled and I got ahead inventory wise, uh, I moved all operations up to Northwest Arkansas. And so Nick, we have a shop up there. Um, Nick runs Quack Rack and Stingray out of the same shop. And we've got a team of guys. And, um, you know, it, in the small business arena, you know, I'm talking to a guy right now about hiring him. And he says, well, what, what am I going to do? And I'm like, brother, uh, one, day is, one day is this, the next that, you know. Uh, there is no, here's what you're going to do. There's a lot right. of things. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had, you know, exceptional growth year over year over year. And it's just been fun to watch where as a business owner, we just stay in our lane and focus on our world. And uh, it's just been, we build a great product and it's just continued to grow and grow. And, and we've had to expand every year. I think we're moving into a, a bigger shop, hiring more people. So it's, it, it's been the biggest learning lesson in life for me is growing this business from nothing to where it is today. It's so humbling and, and just lessons learned every day. You get, you get your ass knocked down all the time and then you learn to just jump back up and, and go get them again. Right. So yeah. Um, Quack Rack and all that is, is run out of Arkansas. I manage the cash flow and everything in Texas and, you know, weekly conference calls, inventory control, future design of products. You know, there's plenty to work on. No, oh, that's cool. That's cool. You know, it's, it's funny. All everybody's little small business and people have these misconceptions about, Oh, it must be like this. And it must be a big office with a bunch of people. And that's not always the case. And I kind of, I had a feeling that was kind of what you were going to say, because it's, it's always a struggle. It's, it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're, whether you're doing media or whether you're doing, you know, hard products like what you guys create, there's, you're always grinding, you know, you're always competing and working on stuff. And now that's, that's really, really cool. But, um, what, so, <clears throat> excuse me. How did, how was your fall this year? Because that's a question I've been asking everybody. And I'm just curious, trying to get a feel for, because I've talked to guys literally from the upper Midwest, out here in the West, down to where you guys are at in the Southeast. You know, what'd your fall look like? Uh, it, I like to have everything scheduled and planned ahead. And this fall was just whatever you, whatever you thought was going to happen, just throw it away. That is not happening. Uh, we have a pretty scheduled regimen. We start with Texas teal in September and teal in South Texas. We have the best teal in the world uh, in, on, in South Texas on the Texas coast, just west of Houston. So in September, the final three weeks of the year, we're always teal hunting. And then we move to Canada in October. Well, we got our teal hunting done, but obviously nobody can go to Canada this year. So October was, was a waste for us. Uh, and then in November, I've been spending a lot of time in Oklahoma and Kansas. Uh, normally I would be, like I said, in December, I would be up in Montana. I, I didn't even go further north in Kansas this year. And 
everything's been hit and miss. You know, I think anybody would be lying if they absolutely just been hammering them all year. I mean, there's spots in Arkansas right now where if you got them, you really got them. If you don't, you really don't. Um, There's, there's, it's just been kind of spotty. I mean, a great example of success this year is the boys at Falco have just been on fire in that pocket of Arkansas or that pocket of Oklahoma, but you can go South of them and not see a duck. You can go North of them a little bit and not see much, but where they are in Oklahoma, they've been on absolute fire this year. And the other one, um, other clients of mine is uh, Cadillac Creek, Panhandle uh-huh. of Texas. Those boys are absolutely smashing. And I don't know if you follow them on Instagram. Oh yeah, sure do. Follow. Uh, so man, to describe my fall, absolute hit and miss, man. I mean, <clears throat> nothing's been dialed in. Trips have not been dialed in. Just like me being in Kansas today. That's a last minute. Hey, we're on them. And uh, I've had a lot of mornings, you know, staring at the sky this season. I, uh, we haven't talked about this, but uh, I'm also a host of the Mojo TV show now. So oh, cool. Yeah. So Terry asked me to kind of help him out and fill in for a little bit. And uh, after Mike Morgan passed away last year and, you know, we're sitting here trying to film TV shows and he's asking me, where should we be? And it's such a tough, this year, it's such a tough question to answer because everything's so hit and miss. It's hard to have two or three good days in a row that are solid. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly the same here, you know, and, and, and it went here where we were, it was kind of the same deal where it was like, it was, but it was week to week for us. We would get birds and you'd, we'd have, we'd smash them. And then two weeks, you wouldn't see, hardly see any birds and just totally weather related for, for us. We got a big bunch of birds in October and they hung around, but they went pretty much nocturnal and are you in northern wyoming or, or yeah yep. no in wyoming because y'all can still get a push of birds up there and they don't necessarily leave y'all got enough yep. running water either it's a hot spring i guess or y'all got enough running river water um outside of maybe the yellowstone that they don't they don't really push out of the area no nope. no nope. they stayed they didn't go anywhere they were just living on uh basically big water treatment ponds sewer ponds yeah if not because nothing it was got warm nothing was frozen so there was no reason for them to go fight the current on the river or sit on those small spring creeks they could go sit someplace they didn't get bothered and of the of the three big impoundments that i know of in this area i bet each one was holding five to seven thousand mallards wow it was insane and you'd find them You'd find them uh, hitting cornfields right at dark, and they'd be out there all night long, and it's just tornadoes of ducks into these cornfields. And of course, you're trying, you're just waiting for a day that it's going to snow or be crappy, so they'll do it during the daylight. And we never got it. We never got it. I try, I try and explain to people the size of the mallards up there, and I guess the best way I can describe it versus you know a mallard that we have you know in, in North Texas or Arkansas, Oklahoma. You know, the throats on those mallards up there in Montana, I just tell people to grab your forearm. And that's the throat of a mallard. I mean, they're huge. And they fill up with corn, you know, and they, they're spilling corn out. They're flying over. Yeah. We, had, we had ducks come in, kind of semi-work the decoys, and I wanted them, wanted them right. We had a good morning. This was a good morning. 
we had these birds come in and this hen's talking and I swear to God, she was coughing up corn as she was, as she was yeah. flying by because it looked like stuff was hitting the water. And I'm so like, my dog trainer was like, hey, when you come home, give me some birds so that I can train with them. And his bird boys were complaining because that their arms were sore, throwing those mallards out for mm. duck training. So they don't like those five pound northern mallards. <laughs> yeah, it's such a different game, you know. Uh, it's kind of interesting. My social media, my DMs blow up when I post content in Montana with half, 95% of it is, where are you? Tell me where you are. I got to hunt there. That's right. the most beautiful country I've ever seen. And then the 5% are the locals who are just chewing my ass. <laughs> saying everything from you're ruining my business i'm a guide you know you're ruining my spot what have you and it's hard to appease both crowds i see it both is. sides of the story it is because i mean because a lot of what i think you guys do it's not like you have a national sales crew out beating feet to sell product you're using social media as your marketing platform sure and so you know, between podcasts and well, and you got Mojo TV, which congratulations by that, by the way, that's really cool. <clears throat> but if you don't post stuff, then you're not, you're not hitting the mark. Right. But if you do, you're pissing people off. So yeah, it's a total, it's, a horse, of it's a horse of peace, man. That's a tough you, one. You can't win, but no, I, I, it's such a beautiful country up there and, and it's crazy. You know, you can go down, um, what river was it? Uh, it's the confluence of the Yellowstone and what's the other one? Um, the Bighorn. So you can go down the Bighorn River and it, it blew my mind how the Bighorn will be just like a normal river. And then you hit the confluence of the Yellowstone and the Yellowstone, you can't hunt the Yellowstone, but the Yellowstone is just pure slush, depending upon when you're there. But when I've been there, the Yellowstone is pure slush and it's like four inch thick plates of ice the size of a house just flowing down the river and the locals think I'm crazy. I drive a local mud boat up there and they're all in their jet drives, but literally just ramp up on a sheet of ice, slide over it and come down into the, it's a, just a totally different world. Yeah. Yeah. The Yellowstone is crazy. That's uh, that thing freezes up, but it, I, it's very rarely that it'll freeze completely Right. and it holds birds like you said, well, we get birds, they'll stay all year. They'll move around, you know, they'll push. We had a hunt last year where we didn't have a lot of geese coming into the, coming into the hunt. And so we hunted north. We hunted actually north and where there were birds. And that day, good grief, it ended up being on the X, but we ended up trafficking a bunch of birds too because they were, they were migrating. It, it, got, it was really cold and crappy and birds were up and they were going. And I called back down by the afternoon. I called back down south or down to here and said, man, are there birds showing up? Sure enough, our spots down here were loaded up by that afternoon. It's not real. It wasn't real far. Those birds could be here in an hour, you know, fly down. And they just wanted to get out of all that slush and ice and crap and come down here. And it was a little easier for them. It was, it was nuts. But yeah, they go back and forth like crazy all the time, but they don't leave so that's that's kind of what's nice and whenever we got a little weather this year like you said it was hit and miss we had we'd have days where we just crush them 
and then you'd go for weeks and be like didn't even hunt you know and go out go out in the morning and scat drive around with a cup of coffee and look for birds and be like yeah there's it's not worth it's not worth our time right and uh then you go out and see oh there's a bunch of birds and go get permission or go get on them and bang so yeah it was it was pretty cool but the next time you get up this way you got to call me if it's, if, it's, hunting, if it's in season we'll get you out that'd be fun you're doing a lot more field hunting than hunting those rivers both both it depends if i can get those mallards in a cornfield that's what my favorite way to do it but they just this year they were doing it at night and yeah. and we just never got the weather i mean you could set up on them and you might kill a couple right at last legal shooting light but then all five thousand birds are going to show up at right after shooting lights over yeah and there's just no way to do it you know you needed we needed snow to get to make it to make a move in in daylight so that made us hunt the river a lot which i like i like hunting the river but yeah those those flip those cornfield mallards are they're kicking the pants man yeah. we've been able to chase those montana rivers um, <clears throat> idaho rivers the snake rivers been an absolute blast and then yep. um and trying, we, I was with uh, Mike Morgan a few years ago and Ramsey Russell, and Ramsey was trying to knock off a species off his list, a Barrow's Goldeneye. Yep. And we were in Idaho, and somebody gave us a hot tip to jump one state over. And uh, so we do that, and we're literally hunting off the side of a river, and these Goldeneyes, you know, they just, you know, 60 miles an hour down the middle all day long, just one yep. after another. And uh, we realized that there was a Walmart behind us. So in our waiters, we literally got like a six pack and, and a pizza. <laughs> Come back down the bank and we finished our hunt for the Barrel's Gold Dye. That's so, hilarious. I think I have a feeling I know I might know where that was. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, there's a handful of spots and guys come out specifically here to shoot barrows. Yeah. Um, especially those guys from the southeast, man. It it seems like those guys have got a penchant for those golden eyes. And I mean, on a normal year, it's no big deal to go out and shoot six golden eyes if you want. You know, yeah. the, the uh, barrels I, are I, the barrels are a little trickier. We had a group of guys from uh, Alabama with us, and the mallards. You know, as you know, on the river, very hit and miss. You can find a Russian olive tree or something with a bunch of widgeon, possibly, but. Um, I brought a bunch of guys from Alabama and they were having more fun shooting the golden eye running the middle of the river. <laughs> and they were like, this is more fun than mallards. Yeah. Yeah. And you can shoot a box of shells to kill five or six of those things too. Yeah. You know, they're fast. Absolutely. But no, they're, they're a riot. That is, that is a really good time, but well, Garrett, you just got off a nine hour drive, man. So I appreciate your time and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and I got one question to ask and then I'll let you go and let you unwind a little bit. If you could hunt one bird one way the rest of your life, what's it going to be? Dry fields. Dry Geese fields. or ducks? Mallards? Ducks. What are we talking? Mall mallards in a dry field. You mentioned mallards in the corn. There's nothing better than that, right? Uh, mall you know, I love the timber, but dry field all day long. Dry field mallards. That's cool. It's so far, it's either been like Barton Ramsey, timber, 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 or it's cornfield mallards. Yeah. 
Only a couple guys have said geese. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's interesting. It seems to be, it seems to be a 50, 50 split on those ballards. You either want them in a cornfield or in the timber. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. The snow geese are up there too. So, you know, don't count me out for a good snow goose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's about time to get after that too. That's Absolutely. right around the corner. So Absolutely. cool. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate your time. 